Um, your new book, Bad Therapy, Why Kids Aren't Growing Up. Yes. What's wrong with therapy? What are they doing wrong? You know, they're, they're giving it to kids who aren't sick, who aren't actually struggling with mental illness or, or disorder. They're giving it to everybody. So what they're doing is they're making existing problems worse and they're introducing new problems because therapy has side effects. Just like any intervention that has the power to help, it also has the power to harm. In what way? Well, some of, there's a whole body of research on, on some of the side effects of therapy, and they include things like alienation from spouse, alienation from parents, uh, worsening of depression, worsening of anxiety, um, feeling of incapacity, feeling like you can't do things without consulting your therapist. Um, all those are well-known iatrogenic effects. Feeling uh, Once you have a mental diagnosis, the labeling, feeling limited by that label, oh, oh I have anxiety, I can't. Um, so all those things are well known what they call iatrogenic effects, meaning when whenever a medical procedure actually introduces harm, that's I, an iatrogenic effect. And we know that, of course, you know, drugs and surgeries always come with, you know, even the life saving ones can come with um, some harm. And what people might not know is that therapy comes with these risks as well. So is is this your opinion on therapy in general? Do you think there's a place for therapy? Absolutely. But I I guess the big picture th you know, theme here is that therapy with kids and teens is totally different for therapy with an adult, right? An adult sits down. First of all, an adult makes the decision on their own. You know, I really want to work, work on this. I'm going to go to a therapist. And you get the patient buy-in, and they're ready to do the hard work of therapy. But a child or teenager is usually strong-armed into therapy, so they don't want to be there in the first place. But more importantly, you know, they can't say as easily to a therapist, um, listen, I, I don't really think – I, I think I gave you the wrong impression. I, I don't think I would call my mom emotionally abusive. Or it's much harder for them to say, listen, um, I don't I, – I know I was bullied in middle school, but I don't think I have PTSD. It's harder for a kid to say that because they don't have the life experience uh, behind them to know that. And, and they don't know if they're getting better as easily. An adult can say, you know, I've been seeing this therapist for three years. You know, my depression's as bad as it ever was. It's just not working and move on. Maybe find a different therapist. It's much harder for a teenager to know that. Yeah, I have never been in therapy, although a lot of people told me I should. <laughs> um, <laughs> but they all are in therapy and it doesn't seem to be helping. And I don't see improvement. I don't – I mean, maybe it's just a, a biased sampling of the people that I know that are doing it. But it's – the people that – it's not all of them. But the ones that I find problematic are very self-indulgent. And there's something about going to a therapist and talking about yourself constantly and your problems constantly that sort of reinforces this self-indulgent. And that's what can lead – depression to get worse, sadness to get worse. As you sit and focus on your pain, it if you're not careful, especially with teens and kids, it can make the pain, the worry, the the feeling of being harmed worse. And I think that's what we're seeing. But what about the good yeah. therapists? Aren't there good therapists that can give you tools to sort of change your patterns of thinking and behavior and move in a positive way? So if you're struggling with a condition of some sort, a phobia, anorexia, um, OCD, you know, any number of problems that you want to deal with, therapy can be great. Cognitive behavioral therapy especially can be great. But if you go, if you're a teen or kid who shows up bummed out 
or, you know, just generally kind of anxious, um, to a therapist, you have a good shot of having that problem made worse. And, but why is that? What is it about going to therapy with that problem that's going to make it worse? Because you're going to sit and talk about your worries regularly. They're not going to say, you know that exercise is amazing for depression? Study after study. In fact, there have been recent studies showing it's better than antidepressants for a lot of, you know. Yeah. Um, you 1. know, 1.25%. I mean, it's amazing, right? Like, Or, excuse me, one and a quarter, like one times better. Right. One, you know. Dancing is apparently amazing for, you know, low mood. Now, I'm not talking about severe major depressive disorder. Okay, when you have severe chronic depression, you may need to treat it with medication or, or therapy. But for you know low mood, you know sort of mild to moderate depression, exercise turns out to be better, and it doesn't have those side effects. Yeah. But let me give you an example of a, a teenager I talked to. So I talked to this girl Becca, is what I call her in the book. But um, she was a high school senior, and she had been in therapy since age six. Okay, when her parents divorced, she didn't have any. Um, diagnosed mental disorder of any kind. But she had regularly been in therapy because her parents divorced and they said, you got to go to therapy. So I asked her as a high school senior, so what are you working on with your therapist now? And she said to me, my therapist is getting me ready to make friends in college. She's oh. helping me. Oh, boy. So we're rehearsing. We're going through my past experiences and we're talking about how to get me ready to make friends in college. <laughs> that gives me anxiety just thinking about right. it. Somebody coaching me to go make friends is like, what? right. You see, this generation feels that it can't do mm. because they've gotten so much oversight and so much needless mental health intervention that they're questioning themselves all the time. They're in their heads all the time. And w what motivated you to write this book? Like, Do you have personal experiences with people that are going through this? Well, you know, two things. Like, One is I'm raising three kids in this generation. So I wanted to know, like, why was the generation that got the most mental health intervention, the most therapy, the most psych meds, the most interventions in schools, the most therapeutic parenting, why were they in the most distress? And why were they so afraid to grow up? We shouldn't see that. These should be the picture of wellness. Nobody worried about anybody's mental health more than we worried about their mental health. And yet they're the picture of despair. So I, I really wanted to know like what was going on with them. And also, of course, I had written Irreversible Damage. And I knew from that you know, experience that very often when a young woman would tell a story about when her life went desperately off track, it was with a therapist. And here's the thing. It wasn't necessarily a gender therapist. Most often, it was just your vanilla psychodynamic therapist who was there to talk to an anxious or a little bummed out teen, you know, mildly depressed teen about their bad feelings. And lo and behold, during the course of, you know, regular psychodynamic therapy, they would say, and what are your feelings on gender? Mm. And with the therapist, they would go down that route. <sighs> Wow. Um, there's a lot of other factors too, right, that's contributing to kids' anxiety today. And a big one has to be social media. Absolutely. Absolutely. Social media is a huge part of the story. There's no question. You know, I wrote about it in the first book. And, you know, Jonathan Haidt, Gene Twenge have been talking about it for eight years now. And they've brought rigor and important research to show that that has, you know, extracting kids from their social world is bad. 
yeah. and getting them, you know, making them, you know, getting the do- dopamine hit, dopamine hit, and the, you know, you know, the the anxious, you know, worry about who's going to write me back and when, and then getting the dopamine hit up when they get that response and that whole cycle. There's no question that plays on our natural sort of, pe- you know, propensities for addiction, um, and and makes kids more anxious. Um, but I th- I think. It's part of what we're seeing. I don't think it's the whole story. Um, and the, the reason I don't think it's the whole story is a few things. First of all, childhood mental health has been, and adolescent mental health has been in precipitous decline in this country since the 1950s. So, and how do they measure yeah. that? So from, let's say, 19, by every measure, by the way. But let's say take between 1955 and 1988, the rates of adolescent suicide quadrupled. So that's just one measure, but there are many. I mean, we've seen it from non-suicidal self-harm, suicidal self-harm. All of these rates have gone up for adolescents, um, but they but they've been in decline for mental health in this you know of teens has been in decline for years. There's also some other statistics or some other reasons I don't think phones explain the whole story. One of them is that in 2016 the CDC came out with a report, and they said that one in six kids between the ages of two and eight these aren't kids with smartphones. Between the ages of two and eight, one in six kids had a mental health or behavioral diagnosis. That's a lot of kids. That's a lot of kids with a mental health diagnosis, right? 